You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. It's time to start wrapping this up, but it's, it's been helpful to me going through this study. We're going to begin reading verse 27 and uh, this is the dedication of the wall. That's what the summary of the, the heading in my Bible says right there before verse 27, the dedication of the wall. And, uh, and I just love what happens here, especially tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, the role that music plays when we gather. And, uh, and I think this is going to be, it's just one of those messages that you may think, well, you know, it doesn't really apply all that much, except that at least three, hour, three times that we gather every week, one of the primary, uh, the primary portions of every service is a music service. I mean, we don't gather without singing. We just don't. And so this is important, and I hope that you'll be open to applying this tonight. Nehemiah twelve twenty seven it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country, round about Jerusalem, and from the villages of Natophathi, and, and, all, and also, from, sorry, also from the house of Gilgal, and out of the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had builded them villages round about Jerusalem." And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, Nehemiah, then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate. And after them went Hoshiah and the half of the princes of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah and Benjamin and Shemaiah and Jeremiah and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets, namely Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph. And his brethren, Shemaiah and Azrael, Milale, Galale, Mai, Nethaniel, and Judah, Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe before them. And at the fountain gate, which was over against them, they went up by the stairs of the city of David at the going up of the wall above the house of David, even unto the water gate eastward. So that one company going one direction and the other company of them that gave thanks went over against them. And I after them and the half of the people upon the wall from beyond the tower of the furnaces, even unto the broad wall and from above the gate of Ephraim. And above the old gate and above the fish gate and the tower of Hananiel and the tower of Mia unto the sheep gate and they stood still in the prison gate. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God and I and the half of the rulers with me and the priests Eliakim, Maaseah, Minimaim, Micaiah, and then all those people. I didn't practice reading these out loud. Okay, verse 42. And Maaseah, and Shemaiah, and Eleazar, and Uzai, and Jehoanam, and Malchijah, and Elam, and Ezer, and their singers sang loud. And the singers sang loud. Okay, I'm going to stop and focus on that because I can pronounce that. <laughs> the singers sang loud. 
with Jezrahiah, their overseer. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Do you get the idea that they were excited about what they're doing here? And part of my reason tonight for having Brother Ken lead is so I could stand right there and I could sing loud. Because sometimes when I am leading and I know the live stream is going on, uh, I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to sound bad for the live stream. But when there's nothing holding you back and you can just sing loud, I wanted to do that tonight. Uh, Because I'm going to be preaching about the passion with which we approach the music service every time we get together. And I hope it will be a help. And and the thought that it starts with this, this is the title, When God Does What Only God Can Do. The results that take place when God does what only he can do. Let's pray and ask God to help our time. Father, we humble ourselves and ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Open our eyes and illuminate this truth to us tonight. Help us to see what you want us to this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I love it when God does something only God can do. We were talking about it this morning in Sunday school and about all the Bible stories we wish we could have been there to see. And, and the first one that I thought of was the Red Sea crossing. For some reason, in my prayer time, um, I, a lot of times we'll start by, I'll try to praise the Lord for the things that he has done that only he can do. And, and I start at creation a lot of times. But a lot of times, the first thought that comes into my head is, Father, I mean, you made the Red Sea part. I mean, that just blows my mind that God could do that. That's something only he can do. And so what Bible stories do you think of when you think of something that you wish you could have been there to see that only God can do? Give me some. Throw them out here. David and Goliath. Yes? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that fourth man. What else? Daniel and the lion's den. Was that what you were going to say? Yep. What else? Give me one. Esther, yep, Esther. I would have loved to have seen the gallows, you know, and all that came back on, on Haman's head. Wait, Haman? Yes. Uh, it, I'm, 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 what's that? The fiery furnace, yep, that one. What else? Yes. Elijah, yeah. I liked it, the fire coming down from heaven and taking out groups of 50 men at a time. I think about that. I think about the altar, yeah, Brother Blake. Samson, that would have been amazing. Yes. Creation. Yeah, just to see those things happen. I mean, incredible. Yes. Jonah and the whale. I, I would have liked to see him get spit back up. That's what I, I've always thought would be fun to watch. Yes. Lazarus coming out. Jesus just said, Lazarus, come forth. And here he comes. You know, those are the things, those are, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think of the Old Testament stories, but I think about the miracles. I think about Peter walking on the water. And, and I, especially though, the one that always tops them all in my mind is I think, I wish I could have been there in the garden when that stone rolled away from the mouth of the tomb and Jesus came walking out. Like that's the one that really, I mean, that would just really have been amazing to see. And, and I don't know if, if, if there will be YouTube in heaven that will like replay some of the highlights. Um, but, but I hope that we can just somehow go back and see those things happen. Because those are things that only God can do. 
But before we think we missed out on all of it, you know what? It doesn't take much to stop and think about realizing there are plenty of things in your life that only God could have done. Uh, I look around the room and, and, you know, there are probably marriages that once were in shambles and now it's restored. That's something only God can do. And that individuals that were once in bondage in addi- of addiction that are now set free, that's something only God could do. Um, some, there's some in here that were at one point in your life, you were hopelessly overcome with sickness or disease and now you're healthy. That's something only God can do. Uh, God has done some incredible things for us, both spiritually and physically. And it may not be uh, up with the stories that you read about in the Old Testament or the miracles of Jesus or Jesus coming out of the tomb. But, but there are plenty of things in your life that only God could have done. There, there are times when, in life when you look at circumstances and you think, and you just have to say thank you to God because he did a work that only he could do. Aren't you thankful for the times that God has proven himself by working in a way that nobody else could? And you might say, well, I don't have any stories like that. And I, to that I say, oh, come on. Let me ask you this question. Uh, are you saved? I mean, have you received God's abundant grace and salvation? Did he respond to your cry of faith when he saved your soul? Did he die on the cross for your sins and give you the opportunity to receive him? If your answer to any of those questions is yes, then God has done a work in your life that only he can do. And so this text, I mean, as much as we think it doesn't apply to us, this text is about the work of God. This text is about him doing something that nobody expected to be done, something that only God can do. And listen, only God could have burdened a man who had never been to Jerusalem to go back and repair and rebuild its city walls in chapter 1. Only God could have given the, heart, uh, given the king a heart for Nehemiah enough in such a way that, that Nehemiah could be sad in the king's presence and not be killed for it and rather find mercy. I mean, only God could have softened the king's heart enough for a pagan king to write Nehemiah a blank check and fund the entire wall-building project. Only God could have moved on the king enough to have him write a letter that gave Nehemiah just complete freedom of passage through every country uh, on his way to Jerusalem. Only God could have supplied Nehemiah with all the materials and all the resources and even an army to accompany him. Only God could have moved in the hearts of the people enough to give them courage to continue building walls even with vocal enemies like Sanballat and Tobiah standing outside the walls and and scorning and mocking them. Only God could have given inexperienced builders like Nehemiah and the rest of them the ability to finish the wall like they could. Only God could have given them the courage to both work on one hand and be ready for battle on the other hand, a trowel and a sword at the same time. Only God could have given Nehemiah the wisdom to deal with those who were taking advantage of their brethren that owed them debts. And he stopped the work to take care of that issue. But as soon as they were done, they got right back to it. And only God could have helped this group of people that didn't have a lot of wall building experience to finish the work in 52 days and use that miracle to completely discourage their enemies. 
Only God could send men like Ezra and the priests and the Levites to stand before the people and openly declare God's word for hours while the people stayed engaged and attentive the whole time. That is a miracle that only God can do. Only God could cause the people to experience true revival as they fasted and prayed and confessed their sins and worshipped him. Only God could move in such a way that the people who had been without the influence of the law for decades humbled themselves before it and gave themselves to it once again. Only God could move in in such a way that they'd be willing to give incredible amounts of their personal money as offerings for the house of the Lord. And only God could have moved in some of them enough that they were willing not just to offer their money, but to offer themselves willingly to say, I'll relocate my entire family from our, our comfortable home where we live into the heart of Jerusalem, this place that's unsecured, this place that's full of danger, this place that now has a target, this place that's full of inconvenience, and do this as a major sacrifice, but God worked in their hearts enough for them to do it. Listen, that's a good list of things that only God can do. And what I love about this passage is not just that they acknowledged what only God can do, but they responded with the only pro- appropriate response praise and thanksgiving and they didn't just do it out of habit they did it with gladness they did it with joy this newly built wall is a visible illustration of what only God can do and now that he's proven himself in the building of it they decide to dedicate it in a way that's only fitting for something God can do This account is about the dedication of the wall. And I just want to look at how they express their praise to a God that had done what only he can do. And they started in that they had the celebration was full of purpose. Meaning they didn't just get together unprepared, unplanned. No, they came deliberately and they came with purpose. The people were chosen on purpose. Uh, in verse, verse 1, um, the list that I didn't read um, is, is, is found in verses 2 through 26. It says in Nehemiah 12, 1, Now these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, and it goes on through the list. So this list is made up of priests and Levites. See, part of the responsibility of the priests and Levites was to oversee the activity that took place in worship of God. And so this included the offerings, this included the sacrifices, this included the worship practices, the temple business in general. Everything that took place in the temple, the priests and the Levites were over it. But but verse 24, it says in verse 24, in the chief of the Levites... Um, you've got men here. It says, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, ward over against ward. So they have this list of men. And these practices um, started with David years ago, about 500 years before this. He set some things into place. And it says he did it to praise and to give thanks there in verse 24, according to the commandment of David. So a big part of the temple worship was the music part of the service. When they came together, yes, they were going to offer offerings and sacrifices, but music was playing. Music was was engaged in. This this may seem like a sidetrack, but it's not. And I just want to point out that music has a purpose. So God put people in place on purpose, but but, but in verse 24 it shows us that David from 500 years before had established that part of the temple practice was a music service. 
See, a music service isn't just something we do because of tradition. And I know we're not Israel and this isn't the temple, but God is the same God. And if he desired for his people to engage in praise and thanksgiving back then, why would that change now? You know, music is is a vital part of the worship time that we have together. We know based on Job 38 that the angels sang in God's presence when he laid the foundation of the earth. So a music service is not just something that we do on earth because it's a tradition. No, from before the foundation of the earth, God, God enjoyed music in heaven. The Bible says that God is a musical being. I mean, he rejoices over his people, it says, with singing. So God is a musical being. Music is not just something that we're going to do here. As a matter of fact, we'll be doing it for eternity. It's not just something we do because we have tradition. We're not just killing time. I mean, we didn't just, I didn't just have Brother Ken come up here and lead tonight because, you know, we didn't have anything else to do for the first 15 or 20 minutes of the night. No, it serves a purpose. And it's supposed to provide an opportunity, according to verse 24, to praise and to give thanks. That's what it's here for. And you know why? Because God has done some things that only he can do. See, there's two things about that. First, that means that a music service should be focused on God, not us. See, it's about him. It's not about us. That's the purpose, to praise and give thanks. And we could do things a lot differently. And honestly, we could probably attract a bigger crowd if we made some adjustments. Because people aren't typically looking for the kind of music... That happens at Eastside Baptist Church. Now, I like it. But, I mean, go to just about any other church in Sioux Falls and you won't hear music like we're using. You won't hear the hymns and you won't hear the gospel songs and you won't hear the good choruses like we use from time to time. Um, they're, they're trans- a lot of churches have transitioned um, from the kind of music that we use to a more contemporary style. And listen, uh, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind But part of the reason that that keeps me from going further in that direction is that the music service is not for the consumer in the pew. It's for the God on his throne. And and if he never changes, um, then why should our music trends change every couple of years? That just means that we're holding our finger to the wind and we're saying, okay, what's popular right now? Second, so the first, the purpose of music is for God. But second, if the music service is for the Lord, how often do we actually make him our focus? I mean, if it's for the Lord. So the, 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 the music part of the service is for God. And yet I know in my mind, it seems pretty easy for me to think about a thousand different things instead of praising and giving thanks when it's time to start singing. But Nehemiah is so concerned about this being done right, he goes to some serious lengths to make it meaningful. This isn't just thrown together. He's, he's thinking, oh, this is going to be purposeful. And if we were to summarize the purpose of this dedication, it's this. The purpose was to focus on the great work God had done. Listen, when God has done something great that only he can do, he deserves to be focused on. We have to be purposeful if we're to keep our focus on him when we gather. Because I don't know about you, but it's easy to get distracted. It's easy for my mind to wonder. It's easy for me to think about other things. It's like getting online sometimes. You know, if you ever get online and you're going to look something up and, and uh, you start clicking on one thing and then you click on the next thing and then pretty soon after, you know, a thousand clicks, 
you're, you're looking up, you know, Abraham Lincoln's favorite kind of dog. I don't know where that came from. If you've ever searched that on Google, then, you know, you've got some issues, okay? So, but that's kind of where we end up. It's easy to end up there. And, it, and yet, when you think about it, you said, well, I started out, what was I looking for? Oh, yeah, I was trying to find out the closest, uh, the closest dry cleaner. And you end up Abraham Lincoln's dogs. I don't even know how that happens. But, but you know what I mean? It's easy, if you get online and you just start surfing, it's easy to end up... I mean, a thousand clicks away from where you started. And it's pretty easy for us when we stand up to sing in a music service to be a thousand clicks away from where we're supposed to be. And that the purpose is praise and the purpose is giving of thanks. And yet very often in a music service, we don't end up anywhere close to that because in our minds, we're, we're far away, we're distracted the cel- so the celebration was, was purposeful, but the celebration was also praiseful. I know that's not a word, but it fit. The celebration was praiseful. Look at verse 27. In the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. I want to notice first that word gladness. You see, when, it, when, you, when you sing for the purpose of praising God, there should be a spirit, not just activity. He said, with gladness they came, meaning it was internal. They didn't just, I mean, so first of all, it was real, it was sincere. It wasn't just outward activity and, and physical activity. But second, it says, with gladness. I was glad that Brother Ken said, all right, let's sing the third verse with a smile. Because if we're singing, and I don't remember the song that we were singing in that moment, if it was saved by the blood or whatever it was, you, you shouldn't be able to sing that song without a smile. Because if you're really thinking about what only God can do in your life, then you should be able to sing with gladness. And it doesn't really matter all that much what kind of mood we brought in here. If we were to stop and think about what God has done, it should be full of gladness. And he says, so gladness, he, then he talks about with singing and with instruments. The most natural outflow of glad thanksgiving is music by singing or music by playing instruments. And we have a lot of people involved in singing every service. And I'm thankful for it. But God can be praised through the playing of instruments as well. And only a few of our congregation, think about it, only a few in our congregation consistently praise God through the, their talents on an instrument. And yet, I believe there are probably many more that could. And that's part of my reason for trying to plant the seeds. And I know it comes on the heels of this conference I went to at the the church in Menominee Falls, but it's culture there. And there's a, uh, the pastor's daughter uh, is a a tremendous violinist. I mean, world-class level violinist. And she studied, I think, at Indiana University. He's in his sons, both excellent musicians as well. But his daughter, the pastor's daughter, she's grown with a family of her own now. Years ago, as an excellent violinist, she had a choice. And she said, I could either go and I could play it just about any symphony orchestra I probably want to. Or I could go back to my home church and I could invest my life in the music at my home church. And that's what she chose to do. 
So she started teaching these children at a young age the violin, and, and over the years it's developed into an incredible culture of people playing musical instruments. And on Thursday night, as they were beginning the service, uh, they lined up everybody that was learning. And so, like, for instance, on this aisle would be the two-year-olds. And the two-year-olds have little foam violins and little foam bows. They're not even real. So when they drop it, it's not a big deal. It's foam. And they're over there and they're just playing away and they're just getting used to the movement because, you know, that bow movement, it, it, it's specific. And over here, uh, we were close to the center aisle and there's, you know, four or five, six-year-olds. And then over here, you've got some a little bit older. And in every aisle, all the way through, because there's no room for all of them, they went, they played, uh, I don't remember, the solid rock or something, a hymn like that. They all played it together. The orchestra is on the platform. You've got kids down every aisles and they're just playing. You've got some playing the cellos and you've got some playing the violas and they're all playing strings. And it was just, man, it was inspiring. I was floating. It was just exciting. And I was thinking, you know, but God's given the ability, uh, some ability to some people at Eastside Baptist Church, and they have an ability on an instrument somewhere, and they should be using it to praise God. Because you don't just praise God when you sing. You can praise God when you play. And you say, I don't have a great voice. Um, But, you know, in seventh grade, um, I played trombone in my middle school band. And I think if I pull it out and practice for a few months, I think I might be able to play some of those hymns. You know what? That's a great start. And if you want to get involved by using that talent in those seeds that were planted, invested in you long ago, I say use it for the Lord. And I came back inspired and thinking, I'd love to see that if you have experience, if you have an instrument, if you have a desire to learn. I'd love to get more people involved in our services by playing on instruments. It's what happened here in Nehemiah, and God hasn't changed. So this is something he enjoys, he looks forward to. Look at verse 28. It says, And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country round about Jerusalem and from the villages of Natophathi, and from the house of Gilgal and out of the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built them villages round about Jerusalem. The singers came from all over the country to be a part of this dedication. This was a big deal. And I just want to say this, praising God is a big deal. God's people should be more than willing to do whatever it takes to praise him for what only he can do. And if you count the words, I'm singing is mentioned, I think, eight times and thanksgiving six times and rejoicing seven times and musical instruments three times. Listen, this is an important part of the dedication service. We should be praising God with music. Chuck Swindoll says, and I don't agree with all of his, his doctrine, he's not just like us, but, but he's got some good things to say. He said, don't stop singing. Sing this afternoon. Sing on your way home from work. One of the most exuberant expressions of a happy heart is a singing mouth. People are starved for happiness, and when it is expressed in any authentic manner, they are greatly encouraged. And we should be singing more. I mean, I love that he says uh, that, that, uh, that one of the most exuberant expressions of a happy heart is a singing mouth. I mean, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a, ch- a chore for you to get involved in singing, that, that, I think that's a reflection more of a happy heart than anything else. And that maybe you haven't connected all that God has done that only he can do to your own life. 
It's so important that Nehemiah split the Levites into these two choirs. And, and, I, and I don't know all the details about the wall, um, but I do know that one choir went one direction following Nehemiah and the other choir went the other direction following Ezra. So Ezra took a choir one way, Nehemiah took a choir the other way along the rock and he calls the princes of Judah they, and it says they all walked up on, on top of the wall. And what's ironic is, do you remember when Sanballat at one point, I think it's in chapter four, and he was saying, listen, they're going to build a wall. And if a fox goes up, a fox is going to knock that wall down. And yet here these two choirs full of dozens, maybe hundreds of, of singing men walking along the wall as they sing. And that wall did not come down. It was plenty strong. So these two choirs, one led again by Ezra, one led by Nehemiah, start walking. And one choir starts at one point, the other at, one, at the other. And they walk the opposite directions and they sing as they go. I would, have loved, this is, I would have loved to have been there for this. The dedication of this wall. It's not probably thought of as a popular story or uh, something that you wish that you could have seen. But I would have loved to have heard it. I love the visuals. I love the fact that they walked the whole wall. Meaning they didn't leave any part of God's work uncovered with praise or without praise. They walked the whole thing. Every stone mattered. They didn't overlook what God had done, not even in the small details. And listen, I think sometimes we imagine that God's work is only big work, but it's easy to overlook the small works of God. And I want to encourage you today, don't miss him in the small things. There's plenty of small things that God sends our way. We're looking for something big, but he sends these little things. It's not, it's not always the storm cloud or the thunder or the lightning. Sometimes it is this still small voice. It's the little things that God gives you, these little glimpses of grace that you don't earn and that you don't feel like you deserve, but he sends them our way. And sometimes we ought to be more thankful for the small things, not just for the big things, but we look for the big things. But I really want to focus on one element in all of this is that they didn't just praise God out of obligation. The way that Nehemiah describes these acts of praise and thanksgiving, it gives us some really good insight. Look at, chapter, look at verse 42, the second part of verse 42. And it says, and the singers, I already read it and stopped on it, it says, and the singers sang loud. See, this phrase is here for a reason. Loud singing means passion. And my, my, I was standing down here, I, I stood next to my wife when I sang, we don't get to do that very much. And my wife has got some volume, okay? And I, was, and I wanted to stand by her and try to match it, and we were trying to out-sing each other. I mean, Brother Ken's left ear was bleeding, you know. And she would raise it a bar, I would raise it a bar, we were trying to get that volume up. But you know, Liz, I mean, I wanted to stand next to her because I wanted, if I'm going to stand up here and talk about singing loud, I wanted to sing loud in the service. And because singing loud means that you have passion for what you're singing about. Singing loud means that, that, you're, that you're not just going through the motions, you're thinking. Singing loud means you've got gratitude for what you're singing about. Loud singing implies that they acknowledge something great had been done. Loud singing seems like the only appropriate response for what God had done for them. And I don't want you to miss this. Loud singing means they didn't take lightly that God had done something that only God could do. And when you start to think about the, the fact that God has done something that only he can do, I would submit to you tonight that your natural response would be loud singing. 
See, what about your singing indicates your passion for what God has done? I mean, and when you stand and you sing about saved by the blood, I mean, if you sing it one way, what does that say about your passion for it? If you sing it quietly, if you sing it to yourself, but if you sing it loud, that says something too. Now, listen, we can be Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees were loud and they went in the temple and they said, look what I'm giving. And they prayed loud and they fasted and everybody knew about it. That's not what I'm talking about. I, but I am saying that if, you, if you've got passionate singing, it's a reflection of the fact that you know God has done something for you that only he could do. The point in all this terminology is they knew God had intervened on their behalf. They knew this would not have been, that this would not have been possible without him. They sang loud because that's the kind of passion that God deserves. Look at verse 43 and just think about the language. Verse 43, it says, Also that day they offered great sacrifices. It says they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. This was no low level of joy. This was great. And, and I don't know exactly what that means. I just know that it was, it was more than just a little bit, if it's great. I mean, they had sincere gladness for God doing what only he can do. Look at, verse, at the end of verse 43. It says, the wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. This is interesting. See, their families. So it was the princes of Judah. It was the priests and the Levites. Those were the ones walking on the wall, but it says that their families followed their lead. And men, as the spiritual head of your home, your response to God in praise and thanksgiving should set the tone for your family. I mean, God forbid that moms and wives should have to set the tone for our families when it comes to an expression of praise. See, for some reason, um, along the way, men have bought into the idea that it's not manly to express our praise and thanksgiving to God. But if you think that music is a feminine pursuit, you've not read your Bible enough. These were men. I mean, David, they're talking about David 500 years before establishing these things with their brethren over against them to praise and to give thanks. David, for 500, 500 years before this, you talk about a man's man, but he was also a musical man. These were men. They, just, they spent 52 days building a wall with a sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. I mean, they, these were, they, they faced the elements, they worked hard, and they did it, they did it with, with a masculinity. They're, and, they're, and now they're, they're marching along the wall, and they're singing so loud that everyone could hear it. And I just want to say, men, sing loud. I mean, if God has done something in your life that only he can do, it's time for us, the men of Eastside Baptist Church, to, to match what God has done with our level of volume. Um, let's set the tone for our families. Let's, I mean, and listen, I know that men, you may say, well, I don't sing well and, and I don't have confidence. And listen, I'm not talking about, a, about talent or ability. I'm talking about passion. And you should sing with more passion than anybody in your family. You should set the tone, dads. They sang in such a way that those that, that were not in the city heard it. The end of verse 43, it says uh, that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. 
And we used to live in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and there's a, it's the home of Oklahoma State University. And, and I went to many, many football games while we were there. I, I, don't, I never paid for a ticket. I mean, usually people would give me a ticket and I would go. I would just, you know, look like a, a sad puppy on game days and people coming up for bus visitation are like, we're, you know, bus visiting and, and, do you have it? And, and they would give me a ticket and I would do the spiritual work and go to the football game sometimes. And so they would, they would give me a ticket. And I remember there were plenty of times where I went late to the game. I couldn't make the beginning of the game. And the stadium there at Oklahoma State University, it's, it's kind of a horseshoe shape. It's not one of the big 100,000 people stadiums. I've been to games in Norman, Oklahoma. They've got 87, 88,000 people crammed into that um, not social distancing at all in that stadium. Well, Oklahoma State's got about 50,000 in a stadium. I mean, one, can you imagine that? 50,000 people. And I remember when I would go late to the games and the game was already started and you were walking up and you would be blocks away from the stadium. And when something really good happened and the crowd went crazy, you could feel the energy outside of the building. I mean, it just kind of came through and you could feel it almost coming through your body. It was just so full of energy and life. And you're like, okay, something good just happened. Uh, I want to, you know, so you check the score and see what just happened. And listen, that, that's the idea here is that the singing and the passion was done so loudly and with such excitement and such energy that people outside of the walls of Jerusalem, it says that they could hear the joy afar off. I mean, it echoed through the countryside. And I'm not saying that church should it feel like a football game. But when we gather, how passionately do you sing? If you've ever been to a sporting event, and listen again, I'm not saying that church and a football game are the same thing because they're not. But we should have at least as much passion and excitement for the things of God as we do for a football game. I mean, I wouldn't stand up and jump up and down on my, on my pew when, you know, somebody sings a good special and scream. You know, I might do that at a football game. But, you know, I should have at least and more passion for when, when a spiritual truth is presented than I ever would if somebody runs a football across the goal line. We should have that kind of passion. Listen, when we sing, you almost shouldn't need a sound system. Because we should sing so passionately that when someone walks in the front doors, they can hear it going on. Do we sing loud enough that it's obvious we're excited about what God has done and the things that only he can do? I mean, here's some things I observe in congregational singing. And that is, first, most people are at least moving their mouths. And that's a good start. But some aren't singing at all. And so explain to me how that can happen in the heart of someone that God has done something great for. I mean, some barely moving their mouths or opening their mouths. And last I checked, you couldn't make a great sound like we hear, like we see here if, if, in Sing Loud if you barely crack the mouth open. Others at times looking around and listen, I'm, not, I'm just giving observations and I'm not making judgment calls because I can't see the heart of a person. But if at times, or if you have the habit of looking around uh, and kind of seeing what's happening in the room or instead of focusing on the truth, you know, I think we're missing the, the reason we're doing it. It's for praise and, and giving of thanks. You know, looking around doesn't make it impossible to sing. But I don't know about you. I'm a, I'm a man. I have a one-track mind. I can only think of one thing at a time. And if I'm thinking about something else, I you typically cannot be thinking also about the truth I'm supposed to be singing about. 
Uh, If the song service is meant for praise and thanksgiving, we should think twice about using that part of the service as a chance to visit in the hallway. Or, or as, a, as an opportunity to take care of other business that we didn't get done. Well, I can just do it during the music service. Well, no, this part is for God. I mean, and if it's for God and it's for praise and it's for thanksgiving, we should, we should at least struggle with the thought that, well, this is an expendable part of the service. And if I'm a little bit late, it's not a big deal because it's just the, the music service. I mean, God help us if that's our mentality. It's for God. I mean, you might even have more passion for this part because this is the part for God. And the preaching is for us, but the music is for God. You know, I know that that has to happen sometimes where you've got other things to take care of, but it really needs to be the rare exception. It's not about us. It's about him. And so to do anything less than praise him with great joy and loud singing is to, is to rob him of what he desires and deserves. But let me just say this. For those of us resistant to the, this or maybe even uncomfortable with it, there's good news. You, you can be off the hook. You don't have to be purposeful and you don't have to be praiseful. You don't have to sing loud and you don't have to sing with great joy. And you don't have to sing so that your joy is heard even afar off. There are conditions that left, let you off the hook. You don't have to sing with passion if God has never done a great work in your life. And you don't have to sing with passion and excitement and joy and volume if he's never done something for you that only he could do. And you don't have to if, if he isn't strong enough to save you. And you don't have to if he's not big enough to bring you out of bondage. You don't have to if God's not powerful enough to defeat your enemies. You don't have to if God has never moved in your life through his word and done something only he can do. You don't have to if he's never proven himself to care about your hardships. You don't have to if he's never given you grace when you needed it the most. You don't have to sing with great passion if God has never shown you great love or a great grace or great help when you needed it the most. Listen, you are off the hook if God's never done anything in your life that only he can do. You don't have to sing loud and praise and give thanksgiving and do it all with gladness or great joy unless you've experienced God's work in your life in such a way that only he could do it. But if that has happened in your life, the only natural response is to sing loud with gladness and great joy. See, I think we know we're not off the hook. So what has God done in your life that only he can do? Do you engage in a passionate and joyful expression of praise when you get the opportunity? Or is it just something you put up with until it's done? Because the thought I really want you to get tonight is that the level of praise God receives from you should match the level of work he's done for you. So if he's only done a little bit, then just give him a little bit. But if he's done a lot, and if he's done more than you could even measure, then match it. The level of praise God deserves from you should match the level of work he's done for you. See, God has given us much, but too often he doesn't receive it to the same degree. And if he doesn't, I mean, if, if he doesn't receive it, it says one of two things about us. Either he hasn't worked in a way that only he can, or we don't appreciate the work the way we should.
I mean, you might could say it this way, maybe we've gotten used to the cross. I mean, he has done some incredible things for us. And he should receive praise to that same level. What's, oh, I'm asking, what's holding you back from praising like you should? I'm talking to the men here tonight. And I read an article years ago says about why men hate going to church. And it's a trend about men not being comfortable with it anymore. And I do think it has something to do with the style of music in some churches. It just, men just don't seem to be comfortable with certain styles of music. And honestly, I, I, I like a, a song like Victory in Jesus. I like a good song, like a good manly song like that. But men, uh, I think we've bought into it. One of the, listen, one of the more masculine things that you'll ever do in your life is humble yourself before God to, enough to acknowledge his work in your life. And our families need dads to lead. You say, I can't sing. No, listen, talent has never been a condition for praise. Never. I mean, you may not be one of the guys leading the songs, but you could have been one of the ones walking the wall and singing with such volume and passion that people outside the wall were saying, I hear the joy. And you may not have a great voice, but you can sing with great joy. And you may not have great music ability, but you can sing with great passion. And I'm going to say it again. The level of praise God receives from you should match the level of work he's done for you. And if he hasn't done much of what only he can do, you're off the hook. Don't worry. But if he's done much of what only he can do in your life, praise him to that degree. He deserves it. So three applications and then we'll be done tonight. Three applications for each song service. One, consider his work in your life. And by that I mean before you ever walk in the door, it'd be good for you to think, okay, what's God done for me that only he could do? And then when you start singing songs of praise, you're applying it to something that you're thinking about in your own life this week. Consider what he's done for you. That engages your mind. And you say, well, I can't think of a lot of things right off the top of my head right now. Then when you walk in the door, look at the cross and remember he died on a cross for our sins. And if we had no other motivation to praise God ever, it should be the fact that God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Two, sing with gladness and joy. Meaning, don't just sing, sing and make it real. Gladness and joy. When you start, oh, we started singing Saved by the Blood. We start singing these songs. And it's, I, I mean, this morning, my Savior's love. I stand amazed in the presence. If you really are thinking about the presence of God and what Jesus Christ has done, how wonderful, marvelous, how wonderful my song shall ever be. If you really start thinking about it, you can't help but be glad. You can't help but have joy. Make it real. And so consider his work in your life. Engage your mind. Sing with with gladness and joy. Make it real. And third, sing with passion and volume. And that means engage your body. I mean, because we can engage our mind and, and we can make it real. But part of this process was so effective because they didn't hold anything back. Meaning like at the end of the song service and I felt a little tickle in my throat when I got up here to preach tonight because I was trying to sing if I could see if I could throw my voice out before I got up to preach. Yeah, you, you should. And when you get up to, to uh, after a service, you, it, there should be a little bit like, man, I may have over, overextended myself a little bit there. You know, I'd much rather have it be that way than look back and say, well, I didn't even give 50%. You know, we should strive for 100%. 
And I'm not saying our voice is always going to be that strong, but, but there should be something in us that says, I don't want this verse to go by without singing my very best. Listen, if God comes and meets with us weekly and he anticipates it, he's looking, the Bible says he's looking for worshipers. He seeketh such as worship him in spirit and in truth, it says. And if he comes every week anticipating what he's going to receive from us, will he find it here? Or does he leave disappointed? Because he came looking for 100% like we see here in Nehemiah. And yet the people at Eastside gave him 50, 60% maybe, some 70%. No, listen, we should all be thinking, I want to give my very best every time. Because God gave his very best for me. The level of praise God receives from you should match the level of work he's done for you. Let's stand together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If in your Christian life you have not engaged fully in many song services, let's get that right tonight. Let's make sure that we're not, we're not wasting an opportunity to praise God like he deserves. Men, if you haven't led your families in this way, it's time to lead our families to praise God in a special way. And dads, start the trend. If you let your mind wander, instead of focusing in on the truths, uh, let's get that right. And let's make sure that we make good use of the time that God has given us in every service, we have an opportunity to do something for him that he deserves and desires. Let's not miss the opportunities to praise. The level of praise God receives from you should match the level of work God has done for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help us tonight to, um, to be focused on ourselves in, in, in that we, have, we maybe have fallen short. Help us to be able to examine ourselves and say, I have not been everything I need to be in this important part of the service. Lord, we do it every single time. And it's easy to go through the motions because we've done it so many times. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be that way. I pray that you'd help Eastside Baptist Church, a mark of Eastside Baptist Church, to be, to be a church that comes and they do it with sincerity and they do it with passion. And they're engaged and they're not just walking through the motions. Lord, it's real. Help us. Father, speak as you will, work in us as you will, in Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.